So this is what you get when you miss two weeks. They make you preach two weeks in a row. So sorry about missing, guys. I'm just playing. Y'all get the punishment for me missing. Um. Okay, pop quiz time. What book are we studying? That was fantastic. Last week was very weak. Very, very, okay. We've had three messages so far, right? Three different speakers up to this point. Um, I would encourage you again, if you're not studying this book corporately with us, start now. And this is what we did. I started studying this book several months ago when we were at Living Truth. And what we started doing as a family was we read the book of Philippians after dinner every day. It's four chapters. And it is amazing what can happen when you start to read something over and over and over. I, I would encourage you at least for 30 days, read this book once a day. It'll take at the most 10 minutes, probably. But read through the book of Philippians once a day, either out loud with your family, by yourself, whatever. Listen to it. As you're traveling, you can download audio Bibles. There's all kinds of options. Repetition, repetition, repetition is the key to learning properly and learning vast amounts of knowledge. Now, through reading it and rereading it and reading it, you start to see themes, you start to see things come out, and we'll talk about some of that as we get into this passage. Um, but we've had three messages. We talked about uh, placing our faith in the fact that God will finish what He started the first week. The second week, Hamlet talked about being an heir and how it was worth it and how you married the wrong person, right? Everybody remember Hamlet saying you married the wrong person? And then last week, what did we talk about? Anybody? Suffering, trials, and how Paul said that he would rejoice in the midst of his trials. Yes, and I will rejoice. So that's where we've been. Now, that takes us to, if you've got your Bible or your mobile device or whatever, open it to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 26 today. So get that ready. But I wanna I wanna open with a story. Anybody know the name Charles Blondine? Does that ring a bell with anybody? No? Okay. He was born Jean Francois Gravalet Blondine. Yeah. So he was from Mexico, right? No, he's born in France in eighteen twenty four. That may be why he's not familiar to you over a hundred almost two hundred years ago. He later became an acrobat. He also was a widely renowned tightrope walker. His biggest claim to fame occurred when he crossed the Niagara Gorge over the falls on June thirtieth, eighteen fifty nine. Now listen, anybody watch this guy recently walk over that portion of the Grand Canyon? Well this is before they had online events or Discovery Channel or anything. Eighteen fifty nine. The trek was on a rope three and a quarter inches in diameter, 1,100 feet long, and suspended 160 feet above the water. Anybody scared of heights? Paralyzingly. Thank you very much. Like, I can go to Grandview, and like I can look over the fence and get sick. I can think about looking over that fence and get sick. Anybody ever walked out to, what's, what's the, the point that looks out over? Long Point. I cannot get to the edge of Long Point. Forget about it. I hate it. So this guy's 160 feet above the water in 1824. Three and a quarter inch diameter rope, 1,100 feet long. He would repeat the feat many other times with different variations. Now check this out. Blindfolded, in a sack, on stilts, sitting down midway while he cooked and ate an omelet, in the middle of the rope, and standing on a chair with only one chair leg on the rope. Now see, there's extreme sports and then there's stupidity. In my mind, that's stupidity. But he did it. He did it. He was the best. He was the greatest in the world. One story says that once, after he crossed the rope, he asked the crowd who was assembled if they thought he could do it while pushing someone in a wheelbarrow. Yes, 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 they said. You're the greatest in the world. Yes, Blondine, you can do it. To which Blondine said, I need a volunteer to get in the wheelbarrow. Nobody budged. 
They believed Blondine was the greatest, that he could do it, but they weren't willing to trust their lives to his greatness. Hmm. I think this story is a great illustration to prepare our minds and our hearts for the passage we're going to look at today. I believe this passage calls us to the carpet in our Christianity. It demands that we make a choice, that we make a clear choice as to whether we really believe what we say or if we're just giving lip service to Christ and His kingdom. Let's read the passage and jump in together. Philippians 1, 19-26. Paul says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now what is this? Do you remember? We talked about it last week. Where was Paul when he wrote this? In prison. I kept saying jail after I told y'all jail was 24 hours and prison's out. Sorry about that. So Paul's in jail and, I'm sorry, in prison and he says this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let me pray. God, would you... Help us to know the seriousness of what we're about to talk about, but also, God, the overwhelming joy that accompanies this passage. Would we know the truth of living as Christ and dying as gain? May we get a new, more powerful, exciting perspective of what living and dying is all about, God. Your Word through the power of Your Spirit, is able to do that and ask that You would do it in us all. Holy Spirit, You are our teacher and we trust You. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage deals with two fundamental issues for every believer and actually for every person on the earth. We've got two points to our outline today. Now that's sophisticated. Let me tell you. We've got two points to our outline. The first point is life. The second point is death. If we're followers of Jesus, this passage shows us the fundamental difference between someone who follows Jesus and someone who follows himself. And it is a matter of life and death. Now, before we get into our study, let's look at where we've been so far as a broad overview, not just messages and points. But I just want to give you a flyover up to verse 18. Okay? Paul has brought us to this point in the Philippians and made two themes clear, I believe, to this point. Joy is a main theme of Philippians. We looked at last week, he said, in this I will rejoice, and yes, I will rejoice. You'll see the word rejoice or joy time and time and time again in Philippians. The other thing that I really see Paul is laying down as important up to this point, he, he introduced himself to the Philippians as a slave. A slave has no rights. He's given to his master. So the second thing that I think he's brought us to this point to make clear is that other people are more important than yourself. So you've got joy and counting others as more important than yourself. And I really believe these two themes are so intertwined. They depend on one another. You can't know fullness of joy unless you count other people as more important than yourself. And you can't count other people as more important than yourself if you don't know fullness of joy. They depend on each other. And to this point, in you know, Paul talked last week. We, we, Paul didn't talk last week. Anybody hear Paul talk last week? What happened last week was we saw Paul saying that he would rejoice in what? In his sufferings. Because he was more concerned about the gospel than he was his present situation. He was more excited about the gospel going out than he was about being chained to a Roman guard. So he had fullness of joy as he counted others as more important than himself. And that's a theme that will run all throughout Philippians, so get a hold of those things. The old acronym for joy, anybody know what J-O-Y stands for if you want to know true joy? Everybody's going, yeah, I know, I know. What's first? 
Jesus, J. There's my the extent of my sign language, by the way. Thank you very much. J. O is what? Others and Y. Yourself. J. O. Thank you very much. Jesus, others, yourself. If you want to know real joy, that's the order that you should go in. And again, I don't want to be cliche, but doggone, that just works. It just works, especially in light of what we're going to talk about today. We need to focus on Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. Paul introduced his letter identifying himself as a slave to help show the Philippians and us that he seeks first to serve others. He went on to tell the Philippians how much he loved them and prayed for God's grace in their lives. And then he reassured them that even in his imprisonment that he was rejoicing because the gospel was progressing and how that was all that mattered to him. Paul's joy came from knowing that Christ was being proclaimed and that the Philippians were growing in love and maturity. So again, he says to us, joy is Jesus, others, and yourself. Played out practically. Now, as we look at the passage today, we're going to see how Paul came to this point and how he plans on going forward from it. Like I said, two main points, life and death. And after seeing these two points, we'll explore what we can learn from Paul's example and how we can apply it to our life and to our death. So first, we'll look at life. Our passage is littered with examples of what Christian life is all about. Look at verse 20. Paul says that he hopes that Christ will be honored in his body, whether by life or by death. And then verse 21 comes, which we've talked about already, where Paul says that to live is Christ. And then in verse 22, he says that if he is to live in the flesh, that it means fruitful labor for him. So based on these verses, those things we just read, and some other things that we'll look at, we'll see that Christian life is at least three things. Now, life. Christian life is at least three things. And here it is. Life is at least fruitful labor. Life is Christ-focused. And life is others-focused. That's what Christian life is all about. So what I've actually done here, and you'll see when I get done with the death, I've actually crammed a six-point outline into two points. So I cheated y'all. You didn't know that I was going to get six points in on you. But we're going to look at Christian life in three points. Fruitful labor, Christ-focused, and others-focused. Now, look at verse 22. Paul makes a simple statement here. If I am to live in the flesh, that means what? Come on. Fruitful labor. So that was the first point, remember? Christian life is about fruitful labor. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. So what does this tell us? It means that our lives, our Christian life, should be characterized by bearing fruit. Okay, that's a pretty simple prospect. Jesus said in John fifteen eight, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So how are we going to glorify God? By bearing fruit. Jesus said, when you bear fruit, it glorifies my Father. So Jesus' words are in agreement with what Paul's saying, which is simply, life means fruit. Life means fruit. If a believer is in the flesh and walking as a disciple of Christ, the proof is in the fruit. We have a lot of questions about, is so-and-so a believer? Am I a, am I a believer? Sometimes we, gotta, we do have to examine ourselves. How can we tell? We can tell by the fruit that we're bearing. Are we bearing fruit that looks like a Christian? And what kind of fruit should we be producing? Paul says, life in the flesh means fruitful labor. We would be tempted to jump in and say that fruit equals work, but that would be a wrong mindset. So don't go there. Don't go down that uh, path. That would lead us to try harder or to do more or to volunteer for everything so that we could convince ourselves that we're doing what we need to do. But we are not commanded to work harder in order to bear fruit. Now, did you hear that? We are not commanded to work harder so that we can produce more fruit. We are assured through so many other scriptures that fruit will come. Anybody familiar with Galatians 5, 22 and 23? That gives us a list of what this fruit looks like. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So let me ask you a question. Christian, is your life characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Does that characterize your life? Because that's the fruit that is produced. It is a life that is just blossoming all over with those things. You say, well, I don't know that I really feel that or see that. You need to ask yourself that question because Christian life means fruit will be produced. Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. And if you abide in me, you will produce much fruit. The book of 1 John takes so many places where it says this is what believers look like. And it doesn't say do this so that you'll be a believer. It says you're a believer and you will do these things. That's what this fruit is talking about. When you are a Christian, your life will be characterized by those things. Now, you say, well, I don't know where I'm at. I've made the good confession. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and, and that... Uh, that He was raised again and I placed my faith in His work. Okay, that means that you're on the path starting out to maturity. And the promise of Scripture is your life will be characterized by these things more and more and more. Please do not hear me saying, okay, leave here today and try to love more. Be more joyful. Be more patient. I'm not asking you to try to do anything. I'm asking you to pray to God and say, God, Would you make this a reality in my life? Would this be the fruit that I bear? Life means fruitful labor. And this is the fruit that that labor will produce. Because what he says at the end of that passage in Galatians is, against such things there is no law. If your life is characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, do you think you're going to be blessing other people with those things? This means yes. This means no. Yeah, of course you are. You're going to bless other people, and that's why you were saved, is to bless other people and to glorify God by this type of fruit. Our life in Christ should be marked by this by these characteristics, which will supernaturally, you cannot make this happen yourself, which will supernaturally lead to faithful, consistent labor in the Spirit of Christ. Living in the flesh means fruitful labor for me. So that's the first part of Christian life. Now, the second part is that life, Christian life is Christ-focused. Paul said in verse 21 that to live is what? Christ. For me to live is Christ. Now, you want a simple statement that can change your life? There it is. We talked about it at the beginning of the music. For me, Paul said, to live is not knowing Christ, not being like Christ. For me to live is Christ. Life equals Christ. There's a good mathematical formula for it. The mathematical. I sounded like Daffy Duck there for a second. Mathematical. It's a pretty simple formula though. Life equals Christ. Everything we do, everything we say, everything we think should be centered around the person of Jesus Christ. How many of you know that Jesus is a person? Not a phantom, not a ghost, not a good man that they told a lot of stories about. Jesus Christ sits enthroned in heaven today in a human body and our life is Him. We may initially think that this is not possible, that we could literally just make everything about Christ, our thoughts, our actions. But listen to these verses that seem to tell us otherwise. You don't have to go there, but this is Colossians 1, 15-18. Listen. He is the image of the invisible God, He being Christ, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in that in everything He might be preeminent. Now what is everything? It's everything. And the purpose of the universe is that in everything, Christ might be preeminent, which means before anything else, before any other important thing, Christ. Before your life, Christ. Before your next thought, Christ. Before your next word, Christ. That's the goal of the universe, is that in Him, 
that in everything he might be preeminent. First, First Corinthians 10, 31. Listen to this. You think it's possible for everything to be done in and through and for and by Christ. First Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now let me read that one again. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, how many of you did something this week that wasn't in the name of the Lord Jesus? Let me Let me make it simpler. How many of you did something this morning that wasn't in the name of the Lord Jesus? Yeah, four of us are honest. The rest of you are a bunch of liars. That is convicting to me. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That says to me, if you can't do it in Jesus' name, don't do it. You talk about a filter to live your life through. Should I do this? Can I do it in Jesus' name? No, then I shouldn't do it. And I mean, that's a quick little acid test. Boom, should I? Nope, I shouldn't. Can I do this in Christ's name? Yes, I can. Then yes, I should do it. So Christ is to be preeminent in everything. Life equals Christ. A Christian's life should be focused on Christ. It is God's desire that Christ have first place in all things. And we are to do everything we do in His name and for His glory. This is Christian life. So life is fruitful labor, life is Christ-focused, and also life should be others-focused. Paul says in Philippians 1.25 that he knows that he will continue with the Philippians for what purpose? For their progress and joy in the faith. He says that his life will continue for their sakes. I know that I'll keep living because you need me to be here. Now he didn't say, I know that I'll keep living because God has said that I'll get out of this jail and I'll finally be free. He said, I know that I'll keep living for your sake. I'm trying to think, I'm, I'm pretty focused on my family, my wife and my kids. Sometimes at work, Matt, I'm focused on you and trying to help you out sometimes. Sometimes I'm pretty concerned about myself at work. Sometimes when I'm getting ready for Sunday morning, I'm focused on you guys and thinking about, okay, how could I help somebody out? But is that what my life is characterized by? Or is my life more about how can I get something for me? How can I do my job to get more money for me? How can I come here and enjoy this for me? Too many times that's what my life is characterized by. But Paul says that we should be others-focused for their joy, their progress in the faith. He says that his life will continue for their sakes. Paul could have very easily said that he would continue in life for his own progress and joy in his faith. And we wouldn't have thought much about that. We want to press on to maturity, right? But what is your maturity about? It's not about you. That fruit that you're producing is not about you. I said here, I think it was a month or so ago, how many fruit trees have you ever seen eating their own fruit? You ever seen an apple tree sitting there like, these are good apples. Don't touch them, they're for me. Seriously, a fruit tree produces fruit so that other people can consume it. Actually, if the fruit remains on the branch too long, what happens? It rots and withers and dies. You talk about a picture that God's given us in nature of what the Christian life is supposed to be like. Look at a fruit tree. If the fruit stays on the tree too long, it rots and it's no good for anybody and it can actually kill the tree. Can it? Death spreads quickly, especially in plants. Your fruit is for somebody else's sake. We all want joy. We all want to grow in the faith. But Paul draws a line here and says, My life is for your growth and for your joy. What if we came into this place on Sunday morning and thought, I am here to spread joy to other people? Covenant life together is when we come together and I start asking myself, How can I be a blessing to you? 
Covenant life together is when we walk through those doors not saying, hey, nobody greeted me this morning. But we start thinking, I need to start greeting other people. That's what this is all about. It's others focused. I'm not walking through that door every Sunday to say, what can I get out of this? And if I am wanting something, I'm wanting something so that I can give it away. I'm wanting something so that I can be a blessing to somebody else. I'm wanting to produce fruit of love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control so that you might benefit from it. Christian life is others-focused. Paul draws a line here and says, my life is for your growth and for your joy. And this should be our focus and hope as well. We should live with our attention and our affection set on how we can help others grow and find their joy. Again, go back to the themes that I talked about earlier. Our joy is found in, our joy is found in helping other people find their joy. Parents, you know what this is about. You want your kids to be joyful. Sometimes we go the wrong route and getting them or trying to apply, uh, acquire that joy for them. Paul actually says that for him, it would be better to die and be with Christ. Now we'll look at that in a second. But he knows that what is best for him is not what he should be focused on, but what is best for them. Paul writes from a prison cell and says that any joy he might receive from any thought of release is that he'll be able to go help them. It's not a question of, shoo, I'm out of jail, but instead, great, now that I'm out of jail, prison, sorry, I can help those others grow and find more joy. Paul can, it's like he's a, he's a horse waiting at the gate, let me out of here so that I can help them. Not so that I can be free from this chain, but so that I can go out there and help others grow and mature in Christ. Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever thought that you exist to help somebody else mature and find their joy? What if we were a covenant community that thought about each other more than we thought about ourselves? What if our lives were others focused? And I haven't even touched the lost yet. We live so that the lost might know Christ. That's what Scripture says. How am I doing with that? I'm not doing well. I'm really focused on myself most of the time. And I'm really miserable as a result of it. You will be most miserable when you are most focused on yourself. I promise you. Tim Keller wrote a fantastic little book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Find it on Kindle or whatever. It's not real expensive. And he just said, your hand is working best when you don't realize it's there. Right? If you're thinking about your hand, you probably hit it or you've done something to, oh, my hand is throbbing. We work best when we're not focused on ourselves. I'm thinking about John. I'm thinking about Steve. I'm thinking about Kim. I'm not worried about myself. I'm pouring myself out for them. Life, Christian life, is fruitful labor. Christian life is Christ-focused, and Christian life is others-focused. That's the Christian life. So, having seen that Christian life is marked by fruitful labor, not focused on... Oh, I'm sorry, let me back up. Having seen that Christian life is marked by fruitful labor, a focus on Christ and the good of others, we turn our attention to the second point, which is... What was the second point? What was our two-point outline? Life and... Death. So we're going to go to our second point, which is death. Now, I know everybody's excited to talk about death, right? woo When I was studying this, and Vicki, pardon me for using you as an illustration, but you were fighting for your life, literally, after having Miss Simi. She had a blood clot that was bigger than her baby in her leg. And as I'm studying this, I'm thinking about somebody that's looking mortality in the face. And I'm thinking... What is Christian death? Everybody's like, oh, I don't want to talk about death. We have to talk about death. Because Paul paints a picture of death here that is so anti-cultural, but is so Christian. Initially, this might not sound like a point we want to look at, but Paul is pretty clear that a Christian has a different perspective on death than anyone else. And oddly enough, it's similar to our look at life. Now remember what life was. Life was fruitful labor, Christ-focused and others-focused. Now, death is gain in our passage. Death is Christ-focused. 
And death is self-focused. Now stick with me there because that will make sense when we get done. To a Christian, death is three things. Gain, Christ-focused, and self-focused. We live in a culture that says that any focus on death is morbid. But, like most things, the Scriptures undo this thought. The first thing we'll look at is how Paul describes death in verse 21. Remember, from the beginning of the message, from the beginning of the music, a simple math equation for life was what? Life equals... Come on. Life equals Christ. Life equals Christ. Now, what's our mathematical formula for death? Death equals... Gain. Now, who's afraid to die? Just Andrew. The rest of us are bulletproof, right? No. Death equals gain. Now, stop and think about that for a minute. Paul is saying that dying is life plus something. Because life is, I mean, life is Christ. Death is gain. Now, what could we want apart from Christ? Paul says that death gives us something more than just Christ, because living was Christ, dying is gain. Dying is life plus something. We see it as death equals life minus life, right? Death equals life, you take away life, you got death, right? That's not what Paul's saying here. Life minus life equals zero, or it might even be negative in the equation for us. We're going to lose something. But Paul says it would be gain for him to die. Gain. Now, before you go there, this is not him having a mindset of, oh, poor me, life's so hard for me, it'd be better if I was just dead. That's not what he's saying. Death for Paul is not a way out, it's a way up. Death for Paul is a promotion, and it's a big promotion. I'm talking like circus pooper scooper to corner office CEO type of promotion. Okay? Life is... As good as it is, as joyful as we should be, it's like we're a bunch of pooper scoopers down here. I'll stop using that phrase now. It just it kind of gets stuck on the tongue. But the Bible paints... Listen, 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 listen. The Bible paints a glorious picture of the next life. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians 5. Listen. Have I said listen yet? Because I'm going to say it again. Listen. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, life, we groan, being burdened. Anybody say amen to that? Yes, amen. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. What an incredible picture that is. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Now listen, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Now listen. Have I said that? I'll stop saying it. We just had our fourth baby. I may be in the prime of my life. I may be past my prime. I'm not sure. But I'm looking at my life, and guys, it's good. It's really good. God has filled me with joy and people and you guys and so many good things. But Paul's saying here, there is something better. As good as it is, there's something that is much, much, much better. And it can only happen after death. Death is gain. And that's a view of death that a Christian should have. But it's not just a promotion. It's not just something better up there somewhere. Look at, back at verse 23 in Philippians 1. Listen to what Paul says. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Now, look at what Paul points out here. My desire is to depart and live in heaven forever? No. My desire is to depart and have a new body? No. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. 
Now listen, we talk about mansions and streets of gold and heaven and no more crying and no more pain and no more suffering. And those are good things. But Paul's saying here, my desire is not for a mansion. My desire is not for streets of gold. My desire is not to see my loved ones as good as those things are. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. His desire in death is the same as it was in life. Living is Christ, dying is gain, because here I have Christ. There I am with Christ forever. And he tells the Thessalonians, comfort one another with these words, because one day we'll depart and we'll be forever with the Lord. Death is Christ-focused, and that is far better. Listen, we have a down payment now as believers. We have the Holy Spirit of God, and that is fantastic. It is fantastic to have the Spirit of God living in us. But when we finally leave this life and go to the next one, we will be with Christ forever. And we sit and yawn when somebody says that. Because we don't have a proper perspective of what it means to be with Christ. Imagine being one of the early apostles, the the, the original twelve, eleven plus Paul. They walked with Jesus. They talked with Him. He died. Imagine those days when He was in the grave. How much despair they felt. Now imagine when He came to them in the midst of them and said, Shalom. They were like, Oh! It's a ghost. He's like, I'm not a ghost. Touch me. Give me something to eat. I'll show you that I'm not a ghost. Can you imagine the joy that they had of being with Christ? at that point. Oh, we've got to have that desire. We've got to have that hunger. Knowing that, yes, I have Christ right now. He said He'd never leave me or forsake me. But death means that I get to be with Him face to face forever. Life plus Christ. Life equals Christ. Death equals Christ in the flesh face to face. When we finally leave this life and go to the next one, we will we will be with Christ forever. Paul comforts the Thessalonians with this very thought in 1 Thessalonians 4.17 when he says, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. A Christian looks at death as the only chance to get what he or she should have always wanted, to finally be with Christ. It's not that we walk around wishing we were dead, but we do walk around wishing we could be with Christ. That is our greatest hope. Titus 2.13 is a familiar passage. It says this, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Being with Christ is our blessed hope. And death, here in the words of Paul, is the blessed gateway to that happening for the Christian. Different than what the world would call normal, yes, but true to the truth of the Word. Now, I'm not saying you should be fired up and say, man, I want to die today. But I don't want you to be afraid of death today. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, so finally, after seeing that death is gain and that it will be our way of being with Christ forever, we see that ultimately our death is not others-focused, but our death is self-focused. In our look at life for a Christian, we saw that it should be Christ-focused and others-focused, but in death it is clear that we are to be Christ-focused and self-focused. Now hold on just a minute before you wrinkle your forehead and say that doesn't make any sense. After death, we will be with Christ forever. One would think that there would be no room for us to be focused on ourselves there. But I think we might need to rethink that. Will we serve and work and do unto others in heaven? Yes, of course we will. But not to be lost in all of this is the fact that we will be filled with unbelievable joy after our death. You think you've been joyful here? You wait until you get to heaven. You have not tasted a single thread of joy until you see heaven. First, foremost, 
in front of your face, you are going to be unbelievably joyful. And that joy will be for who? It'll be for us. God wants us to look forward to enjoying ourselves in heaven. He wants us to be fulfilled and joyous for His glory, yes, but also for our good. You've heard John Piper say it a million times, God is most glorified in us when? When we are most satisfied with Him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied with Him. And when we get to heaven, we will be most satisfied with Him. This will be a sanctified selfishness. Do you know that God is the most selfish being in the universe? You say, don't talk about God like that. He is. He is selfish because He is the best thing in the universe and He wants us to know the best thing in the universe, which is Him. God says, I am the best thing going today. I guess that's wrestling terminology from way back. I'm the best thing going today. That's a little Ric Flair for y'all, okay? Okay. Woo! There we go. God sits in heaven and He says, I am the best thing for you. I want you to know me. I want you to be filled with joy in who I am. Because I am the best thing in the universe. When we get to heaven, we will realize that fully. And we will focus on ourselves and say, I am filled with joy. And we'll look to God and say, it's because of you. And God will be glorified because we are focused on the joy that we feel in and of ourselves with our brothers and sisters throughout eternity. A sanctified selfishness. We will be enthralled to our utmost potential. Our focus on our joy will bring God glory for all eternity. Just, I don't know if we'll sleep in heaven. I don't know. Can you just imagine waking up saying, I'm more joyful today than I was yesterday. I'm filled with more joy today than I was 10,000 years ago. And God goes, yes, I know. And for the Christian, listen, starting when you were born again into eternity, the best is yet to be. It's not about the good old days in heaven. It's about realizing more and more and more joy for ourselves to the glory of God for eternity. Our focus on our joy will bring God glory for all eternity. So, we've looked briefly at what we're calling a biblical view of life and of death. Life is fruitful labor. Life is Christ-focused. And life is others-focused. Death is gain. Death is Christ-focused. And death is also self-focused. So, what's our application? How does this affect us right now? The Bible, this ancient document written over 2,000 years ago, is meant to be applied to our lives today. So let me ask you, honestly, before yourself, before God, before these witnesses, is this your view of life and death? Is this how you view life and death? Is your life full of fruitful labor? Is your life focused on Christ and focused on others? Do you see death as gain? Looking forward to being with Christ forever and full of joy like you've never known? That's tough. And again, here's the Apostle Paul chained to a Roman guard sitting in prison and saying this is life and death. Now listen, most of Scripture juxtaposes life and death against each other. Moses stood before the Israelites and he said, I set before you today what? Life and death. And what did he tell them to choose? He said, choose life. And most of Scripture pits life against death. Here, I believe Paul brings them into focus together and says both are fantastic. Life is about Christ. Life is about others. Life is about fruitful labor. And death is even more than that. It's better than that. I don't, I don't know many people that live like that. My grandma, when she was near the end of her life, some people were saying that her mind was going. I don't think her mind was going. She kept saying, oh, I just want to go home. 
And they'd say, where's home? Where's home? And she would always say, it's where that clay is yellow. Now let me tell you what happened. I had the honor and the privilege of preaching my grandmother's funeral. And we went to the graveside. And you know what we got all over our feet as we was walking up this muddy path to the grave? Yellow clay. And I asked everybody, I said, I want you to look down at your feet. What's on your feet? And we were covered in yellow clay. I said, Grandma is home now. I don't think she was losing her mind at all. I think she was looking forward to life plus something else. She was looking forward to death. Christian, please hear me. Life is full of joy. Death is something even better. I would ask you to walk out of these doors today not fearing death. And I'm not saying go kill yourself. Please don't hear me say that. But I would, I would ask you to walk out of those doors today thinking, you know what? There is something better for me after all the blessings and joy of this life. God, thank you for what I have right now in this life. I've got fruitful labor. I've got Christ and I can be focused on other people. But God, help me to look forward to that day. And we sang it in 10,000 reasons. And on that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come. Still, my soul will sing your praise forever. 10,000 years and then forevermore. We will be singing, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Listen, heaven is real. And you can look forward to it. Death is gain. I want you to change the way you think about life and death. Ask God to help you see things from His perspective, which is another theme of this book. Immerse yourself in His Word so you will know what He says about life and death. So our first application is probably to repent, to change the way we think about life and death. And I think Paul gives us a perfect picture of this right perspective when he says at the end of our passage in Philippians, verses 23 through 26, listen to what he says, I am hard-pressed between the two. That should be our life. Hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample calls to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. That just drips with love for them and an expectation of being with Christ in eternity. I believe a Christian view of life and death looks just like that. I love the term Paul uses, hard pressed. Both sides are pressing him so hard. He's like, I don't know which which life is fantastic. Death is better. And I'd rather go be with Christ, but for your sake, I'm going to hang out a while. Look around, guys. Life is about these people. Look in the Scripture and see that life is about Christ. And that will produce fruitful labor. But look ahead to heaven. Paul says he's hard-pressed. He can't decide which would be better. If I die, I get to be with Jesus, and that's exciting. If I live, I get to help you know Christ better, which brings me, you, and Him joy. And that is exciting. And I'm hard-pressed to figure out which one's better. That's a mindset every Christian should be praying for, studying toward, and by the power of the Spirit, living out. For our good, the good of others, and the glory of God. It's God's promise for us in His Word. Now, do we believe Him or do we not? You may be saying, well, I still don't believe that death is gain. Can He get us to the point that this is our mindset? I don't want you to leave feeling condemned because you're not excited to die. But I do want you to leave here thinking, God, you can get me to the point that death is gain for me. He can get you there. He can get you there. And you know what? I believe he's standing on the tightrope right now with a wheelbarrow saying, do you believe that I can do this? Will you get in the wheelbarrow and trust him with your life? Do you believe he can do it? I don't know. Omnipotent, all-loving, all-knowing God 
is able and He stands on the tightrope today ready and waiting for us, will we hop in and trust Him? Will we trust Him with our life? Will we trust Him with our death? Let's pray. God, this is not something that's fun, but it is something that is exciting. I pray, God, that through the writing of Your Apostle, inspired by Your Spirit, that we would see what life is all about. Life is about fruitful labor. Life is Christ-focused, and life is others-focused. And God, I pray that You would give us a biblical view of death. That we would see death as gain. That we would see death as something focused on Christ and also focused on ourself for our good. That death would be life plus something. Life plus infinity. May we appreciate the life that You've given us and may we spend ourselves by Your Spirit's power and exhaust ourselves, God, until we cross the finish line. And may we be excited to hear those words, Well done, my good and my faithful servant. Enter into the rest. Enter into the joy that has been prepared for you from before the foundations of the world. God, may we be an earthly grounded people who are so heavenly minded that it fills our earthly life with purpose and joy. And God, may we look forward to seeing you in heaven face to face for your glory and for our good, God. We ask for your help in Jesus' name.